Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. God bless you for being here and us looking at a passage of scripture together. This passage, this, this sermon is, uh, you may want to w- remember this, if nothing else. The temple is down. The Son of Man is up. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And we could just have response time. <laughs> That's the message of this. The last week of Jesus' life is one temple war. The religious, the government, the economic, political powers of Israel located in that temple declared total war on the Son of God. Jesus, a a couple of days before, had gone into the temple and shouted that no longer was it a place of prayer for the nations. That strangely enough, this religious institution, which was at the heart of the intersection of heaven on earth, was hostile now to the purposes of God. You know, we're always called to say, you know, are we really in it? It's no longer, though, Jesus is saying the place where heaven and earth meet. Jesus wept about it. He cried about Jerusalem. He called Israel to repent of their hateful, violent kingdom vision, or they would perish, Luke 13, 3. And so in chapter 13, the people of Jerusalem are going to finally experience the consequences of doing what you want. I found that the judgment of God most often works out in my life, according to Romans 1, by me getting what I want and the consequences. The consequences finally catch up with us, and Jesus is announcing that day in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, look, teacher, What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This Jerusalem had about 50,000 people in it, but 25% of the real estate was covered by the temple. It was a massive, massive building. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple looking out. They said two things. Chapter 13 is hard. For a long time, I didn't want to read it because I couldn't make sense out of it. And I was afraid the interpretation meant that Jesus was wrong about the kingdom. That's the issue here. Was he right or was he wrong? Did the kingdom come or not? That's a big deal. I say he's right, but sometimes I interpret it so that it wasn't clear. So I tried to stay away from it as a preacher and a teacher. I needed to sit. I needed to go back in the dirt of the first century 
and ask the Holy Spirit to show up so I could bring that message into the dirt of the 21st century. But if I don't go back to the dirt of the first century, I don't even know what he was trying to say. Because the book that Mark wrote wasn't written by somebody down the street from me and left in my mailbox. It was written to a church a long time ago that I wasn't a member of, but I am in the same stream, and so are you, of the living water they were in. And so I read it to hear the same message. This is what this is about. So I, I just want to say, he and Jesus, they ask him two questions in Mark 13. And he answers those two questions the whole chapter. And it's the longest teaching section in the Gospel of Mark. They say, tell us, when will these things happen? What's the kind of things that are going to happen before, this, before the temple goes down? And then secondly, what will be the sign that it's about to happen? That it will be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. And so he, he talks, and you, many of you know this passage, he talks about deceptions and false messiahs and wars, and he says the end is still to come. He's not talking about his return there because that's not what the context is. The context is about the end of the temple, which is a, you know, it is like New York City, Washington, D.C., and all the churches going down in one's fell swoop. It is a spiritual, political, social disaster for these people, and all of their homes will be destroyed. That's what he's talking about here. And so the end is, is not, he, he hasn't become the Lord of the world yet. He hasn't, in, he hasn't gone to the throne yet. Earthquakes, famines, you will be beaten. The gospel will be preached to all nations. You will be arrested. The Spirit will give words, stand firm to be saved. The second, so, so this question, what will the, what will the, when will these things happen and, and what will be the sign they're about to happen? The first question is answered in the first 13 verses of Mark. First 13 verses. He begins to answer the second question in verse 14. In the first 13 verses, he uses the word you seven times, which means this is going to happen to you. The people listening, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then in verse 14, he begins to answer the second question. Up to this moment, he's talking about the end of the old order. The end of their world as they knew it. In the second question, he says... What will be the sign that it's about to happen? And this is where he uses a phrase we're not familiar with. I'm not. I wasn't. But they were. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea run to the mountains. Get out of there. The abomination that causes desolation that phrase appears three times in the book of Daniel, 9, 11, and 12. It is talking about the desecration of the temple. It, it is probably written in around 400 BC, but it actually happened in 167 when Antiochus IV 
who's a grandfather of one of the, grandson of one of the Greek generals, comes into Jerusalem with his army, puts the altar of Zeus in the Holy of Holies and offers up a pig. It started the Maccabean revolt, the Maccabean war. That is what the, desecra- the abomination of desecration is un- understood to be. And all of the Jews who knew Daniel knew this. We don't necessarily know this. So Jesus is saying, there's going to be another desecration of the temple. He's saying that Daniel is a prophetic foreshadowing of a coming desecration of the temple. And he's calling his disciples to understand that when everything is gone, your house is gone, the place you worship is gone, the synagogues are all gone, everything is gone that Jesus Christ is still Lord and God's purposes are still on. But this is a point that is so critical. He says, he says, if you're outside, don't go back in your house. If you're not in your field, don't go into it. He even at one point says, it will be a dreadful day for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Some people say this refers to the turn of the Lord. You know, I don't think really that the return of the Lord is going to be dangerous for pregnant mothers. That's not what this passage is about. It's not going to be dangerous for nursing mothers. It's going to be dangerous. Women bearing children and nursing mothers will be in danger when the Roman hordes hit Jerusalem and kill everybody they can find. This is what he's talking about. He says it's going to be a distress unequaled since the beginning. And then verse 24 Hang with me today. This is, uh, I'm just bouncing through here, moving through this passage, reading it in its context. Now he starts talking in some figurative language. And I'm thinking, what's this about? But what I found out is you got to know how God is saying what he's saying to know what he's saying. Reading the book of Revelation, for example, and all all the images there, they stand for something. In in our politics, you know, donkey, elephant, it's about something we know, those symbols. We know what those symbols mean. So in verse 24, he says, in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. He's talking Isaiah 34, 4, all the stars in the heaven will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. Let me say my understanding. And by the way, you do not have to agree with me about this to be my brother, my sister. I'm talking to you about a difficult passage, but a very important passage. And as we read scripture, we will disagree on exactly what's going on there. And that is not a test of our fellowship. We're not a bunch of Nazis here. This is the unity Jamie talks about. And it's a unity that God gives us, and it's a mystery, and it's certainly not predicated on you agreeing with me. I don't agree with me. (laughs) What I thought last year, I don't think anymore. I don't preach old, you know, sermons that, what was that? This is important that we understand this. The only reason why I'm going through this is because I think the message is life and death. Yeah. 
The message is that Jesus Christ rules. And there's nothing, nothing more important than that. So when he says that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky, what I want to tell you is he is not talking about the end of the space-time world. So if you took this as a narrative, you would say it was. Time's over. That's not what he's saying. And it's a quote from, it's a quote from Isaiah 34. And Isaiah 34 is talking about the fall of Edom. It's talking about God working out a judgment against a rebel state. But it's not talking about the space-time world. What it's talking about, it's using cosmic language to speak about chaotic political social events in which God is working his purposes. The whole point of this is the point, you know, it's the point of Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. He's at the Battle of the Psalm and he sees how horrific evil is. One million people die. It never leaves him. So he writes the Lord of the Rings to say that evil is real. And to say that good is even more real. And it will, it will be here long after evil is gone. But he's talking, he's not talking in narrative. He's not talking about front page internet news language. He's using figurative language. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's intended to fire the imagination. C.S. Lewis said that reason is the organ of truth. Imagination is the organ of meaning. What does this mean? Is anything going on here? So this is what is happening here as he uses this Star Wars kind of figurative language. And he declares that God's judgment is being worked out. I can tell you that what actually happened was from the time of Jesus' ascension, there was constant war, killing, murder, all kinds of things happening in Judea, rebellions, Finally, a bunch of thousands of people die, and it all finally leads to a four-year siege by the Romans. They encircle the town and starve Jerusalem to death. Finally, Titus, he's the adopted son of Vespasian, the Caesar, he levels Jerusalem in 70. That's what, they, that's what actually happened. Everybody's home's gone. The temple is, there's no stone on another one. You, you can't describe anything any more disastrous for us or for the people that hear this. And yet what he's saying is God's purposes are going to work themselves out in this chaos. Because verse 26 begins to talk about hope. Hope is not wish. Hope is the confident expectation that God is going to complete what he has begun. That's what hope is, and that's all it will ever be. It is predicated on God, not on me just wishing something would be true. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. This is taken directly from Daniel 7, 13, and 14. So you can see that the DNA of the new covenant is the old covenant scriptures. 
And that if you wanted to interpret chapter 13 of Mark, open up the book of Daniel. And when you don't know what a symbol means, you might, you'll probably find it in Daniel. Because that we understand ourselves based on what God has done in the past as creator, as redeemer of the world. That's what's happening here. So this isn't a total, you know, it's not a guessing game as to what this is about. Daniel 7 is, an, is a time of oppression. He's talked about the oppressive, you know, Persians, the oppressive Babylonians, Persians, Assyria, the, the Greeks and the Romans. And then he says, in my vision at night, I looked. This is, Son of Man is really important because this is who Jesus calls himself. Jesus doesn't go around saying, I'm the Son of God. He goes around talking about being the Son of Man. He says, one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led up into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never end. Jesus is declaring that he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man picture, and this is crucial here, is referring to the Son of Man ascending to the throne. I, I'm, I'm moving fast, guys, and I really appreciate the way y'all listen. You truly are the elect. Let's talk, but so, so, remember this. The guy that's speaking all this is a guy in a robe sitting in the Mount of Olives looking down on Jerusalem. He's not crucified, risen, ascended, Lord of the world that pours out the Holy Spirit yet. We got to get back to where they were. We're interested in the Lord coming. I believe the Lord is coming. I think there's all kinds of passages that refer to that. I don't think this is one of them. I think this is a passage of hope where they look and they say, man, what is going to happen here? We got no chance. And he's, he is countering that. He is, the Son of Man title declares the defeat of the enemies of God's people and judgment in favor of the true people of God. Jesus is declaring he will rule and reign with the Lord God and he will gather his called out during these tumultuous times. So there's two things going on here. Number one, Jesus stakes his reputation as a prophet on, what, on the fact that he says, the Jerusalem temple is going to be destroyed. He's in conflict with it continually. If he was wrong, he was a false messiah. Who could know that 40 years later he would be confirmed? But if he is correct, if the temple was to be destroyed and the sacrifices ended, if the pagan hordes were to tear it down stone by stone and his followers escaped from the national disaster, then that is powerful evidence that Jesus is the king. Yeah. Nobody else saw this. When Jesus dies, the big thick curtain, it was that thick or, or thicker. When he dies, the huge curtain in the temple tears from top to bottom. What does that say? The old order is gone. The Son of Man is coming yes. to rule and to reign. The second event 
The second event that Jesus talks about is the Son of Man gathering his own elect from among the nations. And that starts in Acts 2. It's, it's astounding. When you look at the guy in the robe standing there, if you don't know Jesus, you look at this guy in the robe and he's saying all these wild things. You know, like what chances any of this got to happen? None of it's ever happened. Israel's always blown it. Why does this guy think he will get it done? That's, that's the question one, one might ask. So there's two things that happened, the fall of Jerusalem and the temple. But the fact that the Son of Man begins gathering his own elect as the crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord of the world, on Pentecost Sunday, he pours out the Spirit of Pentecost on a little group of his disciples in the upper room. And these disciples immediately become witnesses to the nations, gathering the people of God from the nations as 1310 anticipates. Jesus happens. He's happening now. He's happening here. Not just what I'm, me talking here. He's happening in you. He's happening in this world. The presence, once in the temple, the forgiveness of sins, once in the temple, are now alive in the ascended, exalted Jesus. The old order is gone. The new is here. We live in a new world. This is what Jesus sees happening. If you really believe this stuff, nothing can discourage you. Nothing. Not a crazy church member, not a bad preacher, not this sermon. Nothing can discourage you if your focus is in the right place. Not somewhere else. Don't let your eyes wander. Jesus said to Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's in Matthew 26, 64 and Luke twenty two sixty nine. They're all references to the enthronement of Jesus as the Lord of the world. So this passage is not about eschatological speculation. What do you think? It's about faithful endurance. The temple and all it stood for is out. The Son of Man is in. And you know what's happened finally? Satan has lost. He came after Jesus his whole life, all those three years. In the garden, he's after him. Satan has lost. Jesus goes to the cross A new government is in place in two months. Jesus is Lord. He's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. What does this mean for us now? Number one, Jesus exercises power on behalf of the Father all the time. He pours out the Holy Spirit on the church. That's been happening. When we thought the church was going down, It happens. Right now in China and Iran, the two most unlikely places you can imagine, the church is expanding, moving, mobilizing. Jesus happens. Two, Jesus has the place of supreme honor. Nobody's in second place. 
One, he has supreme honor. There's no top 10 list. Number three, because Jesus ascended to the Father, he doesn't have the limits he had in his earthly body. He becomes accessible to people in the Middle East. He's revealing himself right now to Muslims on the Aegean, in the Aegean in the refugee camps. He's revealing himself all over the world. That happened after his ascension. And number four, he has the, he has the authority, he has the right and the power as creator and redeemer of the world to rule through you, through us. He says, I want you to do this with me. I want you to be co-workers with me. And, I, and you say, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You got the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit without measure on you. Amen. You're going to be immersed in it. This is what's happening. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So finally here at the end, I just say this. When you find yourselves discouraged in your faith, it's not that you got too little. It's just that you don't have a laser focus on one thing. One thing. Go over the Jesus story. Go over the story of Mark. Go over the hell that Jesus went through to move us on to heaven. Item by item, go over the story. The long list of hostility that he plowed through. All the discouraging moments when his disciples did not get it and they betrayed him and they denied him. And it will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Set your hearts, as Colossians 3.1 says. Set your hearts, your allegiance. That means your desiring life and your allegiance and your imaginations on the things of the one who rules now at the right hand of God. Set your minds, your hearts, your desiring life, your imagination on the things of the one who is at the right hand of God. The Lord put on me that this is about our desires and our allegiance this morning. He is worthy of our, of our longings being shaped by him and he is worthy of total allegiance. Glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is an amazing story we are living in. Let's, uh, let's just, would y'all stand with the uh, ministry team come to the front, please? And let's have some time of prayer. Thank you. Reflect on this this morning. You may have come with lots of other, lots of other issues in your minds. I've got things on my mind right now, but I think the only way I can deal with the stuff that's on my mind is by setting my desires, giving my desires and my allegiance to Jesus. So let's just do that quietly as the music is played and you need prayer. You say, I got something really big. You don't have anything bigger than what I've been talking about today. You ain't got anything bigger. Let's just let him get into our lives and bless us.
God bless you.